we can help people. Man, it's just great being a part of a church like that. So thank God for all of you that did that. Um, we're jumping into our study in 1 Corinthians, so please take your Bibles and open them to 1 Corinthians. I mean, this is the first real message getting into the text of chapter number 1. Um, and, and we're going to be talking about the theme as we get off right from the start. Um, the church we know, right, is the body of Christ. And we know that Jesus Christ gave his physical body to die. We just sang and worship about what that did for us. And he did that in order to produce a spiritual body which would continue his work in this world. And immediately in your notes, I just want you to notice this statement. A body of believers, the spiritual body of Christ, the body of believers provides God the freedom to work when each individual willingly lays aside his preference for others. This is the theme. We talked last week about an introduction to the book, and we talked about the theme of the book, and, and we're calling it the power of community. And I threw out another way to look at it where I would say that we is greater than me. And if you just consider that idea, we is greater than me, well, it'll help you through a lot of the decisions and issues you have in your life going forward. A body of believers provides God the freedom that he needs to be able to work. But that's only going to happen when we act as a body. When we act as individuals, looking out for our individual interests over the interests of the body, well, we hinder the work of God and his ability to freely work in us and in others. So this is the theme, and we're coming right out of the gate, and he's going to go right after it. And this book is broken down into seven main sections, and the first section deals with personal relationships, and it really is the first four chapters. We're going to be here for a little while, and it goes at it from a lot of different angles and, and these seven different areas. But um, I want you to just think about new people coming to church. We have new people that visit our church every week, and we're so thankful. If you happen to be one of those today, we're very thankful that you're here. People come to church for any number of variety of reasons. Frequently, people come to church after they have not been in church for a long time because they're looking for something. Uh, maybe they've got some things going on in their life. Maybe they need some help. Maybe they need some encouragement. Maybe they need to find some answers. Maybe they just need a break from all the problems of life that they're experiencing throughout the week. I don't know. But if they come into the body of the church and they see the same problems and no difference in here than they see out there, why would they stay? Why would they want to keep coming back? All of us sadly know people who would say, well, you know, I've been to church and they, they're no better than I am. They this and that and the other. And, and while that judgment may not always be just, you know, there's something to the fact that if we don't behave like God intends for the church to behave, then, well, you know, maybe there's a reason why they're not sticking around. And, you know, whose judgment is that going to be at the end? But imagine that they come in here and we truly are a community of believers that lay aside our individual preferences for the greater whole of everyone else, like those gentlemen out front this morning. What if we're truly a body who does that regularly and consistently? Imagine them finding real biblical love and unity in this place. You know what they'll say? They'll say like Jacob said in Genesis 28, 16. Jacob awaked out of his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other 
but the house of God, Bethel was the name of the place, literally means this is the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Because the house of God should be the gateway to heaven, right? You come in here and you hear the truth and you experience the love of the Lord. Listen, this is a wonderful little community to live in and a lot of you, probably all of you, have really good friends, one or two or three or multiple good close friends. And a good friend is a, is a real rare jewel. It's a wonderful thing, but can I just tell you, can to, when you can find a group of people all serving together, that's really inspiring. Because a community is greater than any individual. An orchestra is greater than one talented musician. A choir is greater than one gifted singer. And a church is greater than one godly Christian. And this is God's intention for us. So the title I've given today's message is Community or Contention? Community or Contention? And we're going to understand how we can avoid unnecessary conflict. Sound practical to our lives today? I think so. Follow with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 9. I'm going to go down to verse 17. God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Let's pray together and let's break this down and understand what we can learn about true community and then resolution of conflict and contention. Lord Jesus, certainly we need this and we ask you to come and supernaturally reveal to us, open our eyes of understanding, help us to not just say we know, but really embrace the value that you have for us, and that is true biblical community. And Lord, help us, because the truth is we live in a sin-sick world and contention exists, strife exists. Help us to learn how to not do that. Help us to learn how to resolve that. Help us to learn how to be prudent and avoid that. Help us to make choices so that we don't ever instigate that. Lord Jesus, we want to honor you and I know you have a word for us, so speak to our hearts, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. First point of study, the fellowship of community, verses 9 and 10. God is faithful, y'all. We are faithful sometimes. He's faithful all the time. Through which faithfulness? By whom? God is faithful. By whom ye were called Unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God called us 
unto this fellowship with Jesus Christ. Let that sink in. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? God has called you. He has called you into fellowship, unity, togetherness with his son Jesus Christ. No one is left out. Do you feel left out sometimes? Do you feel like sometimes you just don't fit in? God has called you unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, and he's faithful to do it. He's faithful to do it. Are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Because if you do, then you have a place together with his body. You say, how do you know that? Well, because I kept reading. <laughs> Verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul beseeches the brethren. He's talking to Christians with what is obviously God's will for us all. That we would speak the same things. That there would be zero division. That we would be perfectly joined together. That we would have the same mind, the same discernment, the same judgment. And this is important enough that Paul repeats it again to the church in Rome and in Philippi. So in Romans 15, verse 5, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, fellowship together, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Oh, how, did, how were we doing when Christ received us unto the glory of God? Not too good, were we? Receive ye one another that way. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. If there be any, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, there it is, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be, here it is again, like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, or one judgment, you could say, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And I would say that probably all of us do a fair job of that from time to time. But you're noticing these superlatives that are in these sentences. All, always, no divisions, perfect unity, fully together, everybody. God wants it to expand to everyone. You say, well, the brethren aren't all that lovable. <laughs> Well, that's why you need the Lord to lead you. You can't do it in your flesh. Well, you, if you only knew. Yeah, I get it. Well, I have to have contention. Do you have any idea what she did to me? Well, if it's you trying to fix it, 
there's no hope for you, friend. But if you let the Lord work in you, maybe there is. We'll learn about that. So the Holy Spirit, through Paul, begs, that's that word beseech, begs the believers to value sameness. Sameness. That's actually a word, by the way. I didn't make that up. He begs us, I beseech you, that you would have the same speech, the same mind, the same judgment, right? The same speech would do away with arguing, strife, fighting. That's only going to happen when you have the same mind, when everybody's thoughts are directed by the same source. Oh, and when that happens, you'll have the same judgment. Everybody's going to judge things the same way. You're going to have a common discernment of what's going on, right? So because biblical unity is God's stated will for us, you got to know, right, the devil fights it. The flesh resists it, and the world devalues it. What does our culture say? It's all about individuality, isn't it? I mean, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, make your own way. Step on people if you have to, but go for it while you got the chance. I mean, that is the culture of this world system. They devalue the community for the sake of the individual. Well, that oughtn't surprise you. The world is one of your three stated enemies in the Bible. The flesh, man, that's always saying, feed me, give me, I want, who cares about others? And behind it all is the devil. Why? Because God wants it. And the devil's all about making it not happen. Look, we have problems. Selfish Christians are on the loose. (laughs) I have a friend who says it this way. There's only two kinds of Christians in the world. There's selfish Christians, and then there's really, really selfish Christians. (laughs) So we have a problem. I mean, you can pick which one you are. I don't know. But, I mean, we have a problem. Um, No divisions. Perfectly joined together. This year I will mark 35 years of being a Christian. I'm so excited. I've never seen this. I've never seen it. I've never seen no divisions. I've never seen perfectly joined together. Well, it's God's will. Shouldn't it be possible? Well, it's possible. And we may never fully, truly experience it until the rapture. I have a reference in your notes in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and we're not going to read it, although you've got some of the verses up on the screen. You can just kind of scroll through and take a look at it. But the idea is is that we're not going to be fitly joined together, fully, perfectly joined together until we are with him, until we are like him, until we are made unto the measure of the stature of that one perfect man, Jesus Christ. That'll happen at the rapture. But until then, it's still the goal. Until then, it's still God's will. So I want you to consider a question. And I actually didn't put this in your notes for you, but you might want to write it in. How can we facilitate more unity among believers? How can we do that? I mean, we may never fully achieve it because we're always fighting the flesh. We're always fighting the world. There's always some Yahoo out there messing it up, right? So how can we facilitate more unity? We're talking about within the family of God now, right? Well, let's aim to dig a little deeper and look at these areas that we're supposed to be joined together. 
God's direction for us in these three areas. Let's start with judging. Let's start with judging. And Jesus has some things to say in the Gospel of John, chapter 5 and verse 22. For the Father judgeth no man, this is very interesting, but hath committed all judgment unto whom? Unto the Son. All judgment is given unto the Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 27 of that chapter, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. And verse 30, I can of my own self do nothing, as I hear I judge, and my judgment, Jesus speaking, is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father, which hath sent me. So the just judgment is going to be the will of God the Father, executed through the Son, right? Then Jesus turns and speaks to his disciples in chapter 7 of John, in verse 24, where he says, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. And the only way that we could possibly judge anything rightly is in accordance with the will of the Father, which is written for you in the Word of God. So when we judge according to the Word of God, we can judge rightly. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll get to this in a few weeks, verse 15, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. So a spiritual man judges spiritual judgment from a spiritual book. In 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 3, Paul says, But with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. So the only judgment that really matters is the judgment that Jesus Christ put, puts forth. It is the will of the Father. It comes, it's righteous judgment. It comes as a, as a result of the Word of God. And we are to execute that kind of judgment. But if a man judges you based on man's standards, Paul says, that's just such a little thing, it doesn't even get on my radar. That doesn't really matter. If we are called to have the same judgment, well, that judgment has to come from the Word of God. That's the only place that it can come from. Well, how about we dig a little deeper on the idea of having the same mind, the things that we think about. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, it says, but we have the mind of Christ. We'll study chapter 2. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but that same mind that God wants us to have in 1 Corinthians 1.11 is most certainly the mind of Christ, wouldn't you say? What exactly is the mind of Christ? Well, the mind of Christ displays for us what it is he thinks about. The only way we could possibly know what he thinks about is written down in this book. It is the Word of God. Do you have a copy? You have the mind of Christ. But then he goes on in Philippians 2 and verse number 5. We read the first four verses earlier. And he says, let this mind be in you. So it's one thing to have a copy on your shelf and to make sure you blow the dust off it on Sunday morning when you come to church. It's another thing to actually let this mind be in you so that you think the things that God thinks. Do you think that that's probably what he meant when he says, I want you to have the same mind I want you to have the mind of Christ. Of course that's what he means because that's literally what he says. He calls us unto fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. We've got to share his mind, right? And contentions, and we'll talk about contentions in a minute, they occur when people don't let that mind be in them. What about digging down on what we speak? Well, again, back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. This theme is going to repeat itself. Which things also we speak, 
There it is. Not in the words, because, well, we speak words, which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And in this church for years, we've said spiritual things with spiritual. That's the word of God. Well, how do you know? Well, we know because they are the words that the Holy Ghost teaches. It's in the verse. The words that the Holy Ghost teaches are to be the words that we speak. Do you see how it's connected? It's very simple. Uh, in case you're not sure about the Holy Ghost teaching that, I mean, it's fairly obvious. He is the author of the word, right? He is God, by the way. It's the word of God. John 14, verse 26, Jesus says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So the Holy Ghost will teach the words of Jesus Christ. John 16, 13, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. In John 17, 17, my, Thy word is truth, Jesus said. It's the word of God. You can't get around it. It's the Word of God. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 17, notice where it says, For we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God. Notice what are we going to do? Speak we in Christ. So God wants us to speak in such a way that we're speaking the words that the Holy Ghost teaches, the Word of God, but we're not going to do it in a way like other people do it. Other people actually are involved in corrupting the Word of God. And he says, that's not what we're doing. That's not what we're doing. We're going to speak the way that he intends, of sincerity in the sight of God. Speak so as not to corrupt God's words. Right? So, go back to verse 9. Remember, we are called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, right? Remember the question that we're dealing with. How can we facilitate more unity among believers? Well, this is in your notes. The only way we can speak, think, and judge the same, because we value sameness, is according to the Word of God. You say, well, okay, I got it. I mean, you talk real slow, but I was ahead of you. <laughs> okay. Wizzo. <laughs> How about this? Let's take it a little further. Because that was pretty easy, I know. Master of the obvious. If we are to speak, think, judge the same, and the only possible way by comparing Scripture with Scripture is by the Word of God, speak the same things, think the same things, judge the same things, all in fellowship together, If that's true, and of course it's true, don't you think a local church ought to all use the same Bible? Is that a crazy extrapolation? Don't you think that we all ought to have the same version of the Bible? Now, I'm not even digging into which one that is. A lot of you know what it is. doesn't matter. For this cause, for this discussion... Would you not agree, based on the evidence presented already, judge and jury, God desires for us to speak the same things, the same words, have the same mind and the same judgment, which by comparing Scripture all goes back to the Word of God, everyone. 
that we as a local community of fellowship, the church, the body, that should live in total perfect, perfect unity, perfectly joined together with no divisions, that we should speak the same things. Don't you think we should have the same Bible? Don't you think that that's something God actually cares about? And stating that we will use only one Bible, do you realize it often causes strife and division among people? The very thing God says will solve your strife and division, oh yeah, that's right, we have enemies, and they're still active. For some people, anyway, it causes more strife and division. Why is that? Is it the version itself? No, of course not. Is it God himself? God forbid. He's the one who said no divisions. In fact, if we actually all did agree on which Bible, wouldn't we agree more on other things? I mean, wouldn't we? Therefore, I would say that any resistance to the unity of speech, the unity of thought, the unity of discernment, is nothing more than a satanic attack on God's plan for unity among all believers. And let me just save this for another day, but if you want to know which one Bible should be the Bible, by the way, that is a fair question for study. We will address that in the fall in our next Certainty Conference in October. But without addressing it today, can we agree today, can we have one mind on this point today, that it is not God's desire for one body in one local church to use multiple versions of his word? Would that not make sense? I mean, speaking and thinking and judging things differently within the same body? Is it possible that whenever this issue becomes a point of contention, that really the source of that contention, if you're feeling a stirring in you and you're just getting madder as I'm talking, is it possible that the source of that is just selfishness? Is it possible that what you think is more important to you than what we all do? Is it possible that maybe your equation goes something like me is greater than we? Is that a possible thought? Wouldn't it bolster unity? You tired of, are you tired of me asking questions? <laughs> Wouldn't it bolster unity among us if we all sing from the same sheet music? I mean, what kind of orchestra would it be if they have different sheet music? Well, it'd be like a middle school band. <laughs> we love them. God bless them. But it's not the Philharmonic. I mean, come on. That's why Paul says later in 1 Corinthians, oh, we'll get to all of this eventually. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. The idea is, how is it that everybody's got his own thing to say, oh, and different from the other guy? That's the idea. Let all things be done unto edifying, the building up of the togetherness. Verse 33, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. 
Man, we've got to learn, y'all, to speak and think and judge the same. Then, really, details of circumstances come and they go, and you can deal with them quickly and easily and put them to rest, and one party or both parties or whatever's going on can easily lay aside their preference or what they might think is their right. Oh, yeah, we are in Laodicea, the rights of the people. For the sake of the greater community. It's God's will, man. That's what it's all about. I beseech you, brethren, that you all have the sameness together. That's his will. But we don't experience it. Well, that's the next point then. The foolishness of contention. The foolishness of contention. And it's most of the passage I read. Two verses on unity because it was so definitive. Whole bunch of verses on guys arguing. Imagine that. Please, Lord Jesus, give us ears to hear all that you want to say to us, that we would have the same mind and the same mouth and the same judgment. Paul says that, verse 11, some people told me that there's contentions in this church. And we're going to see three key truths about contention. And man, you've got to stick with me to the very end because at the end we're going to learn how to not have it happen and how to solve it when it does. The first thing is the source, letter A, the source. Verses 12 and 13. Now let me just start by saying that word contention, that same exact word that's translated contention, is also translated in other places in your New Testament, most predominantly as strife. Okay, strife, debate, variance. People are fighting. So we're looking for the source, the source of this foolishness of contention. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Is it amazing how we're staying in 1 Corinthians? Verse number 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. We'll jump to verse number three. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife, there it is, contentions and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Proverbs 13, verse number 10. You've got to get this. Only by pride cometh contention but with the well-advised is wisdom. Proverbs 18, 6, A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calleth for strokes. I, I used to think that was the golfer's verse, but then I, I realized it's something else. <laughs> the foolishness of fool's lips enter into contention. It's foolishness. And then I threw this in because I just think you need to see it. Proverbs 18, 19, notice, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. The sad reality, if you allow contention to take hold among Christian people, 
the offense is so great, the odds are they'll never, ever let you back in. They're like the bars of a castle. That's why, y'all, we got to work so hard to preserve unity and not let it in. That's why we have to do that. So we're talking about the source of contention in your notes. The men of contention are carnal, immature, prideful fools that act like lost people on the authority of the Word of God. And if it's me, that's how I'm acting. If it's you, that's how you're acting at that moment. If you are a man or a woman who causes contention according to the Word of God, that's your characteristic. Now, the manifestation of contention, how does it play out, is taking sides with people against others. That's it. Taking sides with people against other people. That's how it plays out. Everybody picks their favorite. They don't judge righteously. They just find people who will agree with them. And you gather enough people that agree with you, and you're happy enough in your little circle of people that agree with you. And you may have totally unrighteous judgment but you're going in for Custer's last stand because you don't care anymore because it's about me. It's not about we. See how it works? I mean, this is real Christianity. So in this case, hey, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. And other guys are super spiritual, right? I'm of Christ. (laughs) And they're liars, by the way. If any of them are liars, that last group's liars. How do you know that? Is Christ divided, verse 13? No. He's not divided. If you're really of Christ, you're not divided against anybody. So the source of contention, the people who are involved have these characteristics in their life, the manifestation of how it plays out. That's how it plays out. Now let's talk about the subject. Letter B, the subject of contention, going down verses 14 to 16. And you know that the subject of contention is always over side issues. It's never over the main thing. You know, you've heard, let's keep the main thing the main thing, right? People who cause contention never keep the main thing the main thing. People argue and fight in churches over the dumbest things ever. It's always about control. It's always about how they're spending the money. Or it's always about, I don't like the way that guy talked to me. I don't like the way he said, I can't believe that this or that. I don't like the way that they, uh, and they let guys up here, you know, and they're wearing blue jeans and lead worship, or whatever it might be. Just pick your favorite dumb thing that people are going to get fired up about, right? Well, I don't like the volume. Well, I don't like the air conditioning. Well, I, don't, I wish they did this. Well, I can't believe there wasn't enough salt on the parking lot. Whatever. Amen. It's always a side issue. It's always a side issue. People aren't getting up and saying, man, I think the devil's right. People's not doing that. They're not getting up and saying, yeah, the Bible, that's just a philosophy book. They're not doing that. People are arguing over dumb things. So regardless of the details, contention is an issue of selfishness. I want what I want. And you're not doing it the way I would do it. Well, get yourself a place and go do it your way. (laughs) Why are you fighting me? Why are you fighting somebody else? I mean, I don't understand. I want what I want. Well, that's selfish. Me is greater than we. That's what it is. So with Paul, the issue pops up about baptism. 
So we'll use baptism as the backdrop, but that's really not the subject. The subject really isn't baptism. Baptism was just the issue that they picked so that they could fight about stuff, right? So I am of Paul. In other words, I was baptized by Paul. So my baptism is better than your baptism. <laughs> I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. Well, see, the church was built on Peter. He's right, Cephas, whatever. And so they're arguing. And Paul says, stop it. That's stupid. That's what he said. I, I can read it. Well, no, it's not written, but I mean, I can read it in there. How do, you know he re- how do you know he said that? Because he said, look, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in Paul's name? Paul's like, look, I don't know about Cephas and Apollos. I can speak for me. This is dumb, y'all. What are you doing? Take me out of it. Christ is not divided. So, he says, okay, well, concerning the issue of baptism, let's talk about baptism a little bit. I thank God I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say I had baptized in mine own name. So Paul's like, I don't know, man, I'm thinking back. I can only think of two guys. Oh, yeah, wait a minute, and another family. Okay, that's it. Two guys in one family. That's it. Oh, and by the way, he says, I don't want any self-promotion. I'm not baptizing in my own name anyways. Who cares? In fact, he says, it's so strong, I thank God that I didn't hardly baptize none of y'all because obviously y'all just find something to fight about. It's better off I didn't even bother. I'm glad other guys did it. So, it's crazy. Paul's, (laughs) y'all have been in church, you're going to like, so Paul's thankful that he didn't baptize very many people. You've been to many churches lately? I mean, preachers, and, and you know, I know it's shocking to you. We can be selfish. Brag about how many people they baptize. Right? I mean, it's just dumb. The whole thing's just dumb. Okay, so I added to your notes today, you know, the, I give you a bonus feature. We really don't have time to study all this, so I just threw it in there. So you Bible students out there, okay, need to know that this is a passage of Scripture that a group called, what we will call, hyper-dispensationalists, they will go to passages like this to teach the heresy that they teach. I know of which I speak. I I was tempted to join such a group when I was a young Christian. And a hyper-dispensationalist has those characteristics that I placed in your notes, okay? And so the idea is this. By the way, these are the people who would say today, the modern day, hey, I am of Paul. Literally, that's who they are today. And and let me show you why. Because these are people that divide the scriptures more than necessary. So we understand proper divisions, rightly dividing the word of truth. We understand that there are major divisions in the scripture and the way that we divide them, it doesn't explicitly say in the Bible that there should be seven major dispensations. It just makes sense that it works that way, but that's fine. These guys chop it all up into little bitty pieces, and everything is just so finely divided into stuff, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, they will say, after all the fine divisions that they make, multiple, multiple divisions, only the letters of Paul are for the church. And in fact, some of them will go so far as to say, only Paul's prison epistles that were written after Acts 28. I mean, they draw that division. And then they'll say things like, uh, well, when did the church really begin? Which, by the way, is an interesting question. When did the church really begin? When Jesus called the first disciples in Matthew chapter 10? Uh, when When did the church really begin? When Christ was crucified? 
When did the church really begin? In Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came? Uh, they won't put it on any of those places. When did the church begin? When Paul got saved, because he's the man in their system. When did the church begin? When Paul really went out into his missionary ministry in Acts 13 and 14? When did the church really begin? At the end of the age of Acts, which still had a transition with the Jews? You see how they do it? They talk about the one mystery of the one body. That's, that's the body of Gentile believers only after Acts 28. This is craziness. The four Gospels are exclusively Jewish. The other New Testament epistles, not by Paul, they're exclusively Jewish. This is the things they teach. And the other thing they teach is this. There is no water baptism for this age. And they teach that based on verse 17. Christ sent me not to baptize. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. We'll talk about that in a minute. But these are the things that these people teach. This literally is the modern day I am of Paul. Hyper-dispensationalists. It's a group that's out there. I hope you never have to run into them. Uh, very quickly, for your listening pleasure, <laughs> at least be aware of this. Paul was baptized. Paul baptized others. The Bible says, follow Paul. <laughs> Baptism is part of the Great Commission. How in the world you come to the conclusion not to do any water baptism after salvation based on hyper-dividing the scriptures and taking out of context 1 Corinthians 1.17 is beyond me. But to study 1 Corinthians 1 and not let you know that these weirdos are out there would be a disservice. So there you go. Bonus features over. Okay, back to our notes. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. We're almost done. Please hang with me. Don't pack up. Don't turn off your brain yet. We're still here. This is where we're building to, y'all. We got to get this, and that's let her see the solution. You got to see the solution. We understand all the reasons why foolish, carnal, selfish babies do what they do. We got to know how to solve it. We got to know how to solve it. And Paul gives us the formula right here. What are we to do? Number one, confront the people. You have to confront the people. Paul says in verse number 11, notice, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe. You know what Paul did? He just revealed his source of where he got his information. He tells the church that is in contention, I heard there's trouble, and I heard it from the household of Chloe. So if you're wondering what she said or they said, go talk to them. You know what people do today? They say, you want to know what I heard? Somebody told me this and that. Somebody told me this and that. Oh, really? Who told you? Well, I'm not going to say. Oh, really? You're not going to say. You know what that means? That means you're not interested in resolution. That means you're not interested in putting away strife you're interested in propagating it you ever notice that strife is always propagated by gossip you ever notice that you ever notice that people get into this stuff and boy i mean we're just hot after that gossip i know something you don't know and i'm not going to tell you where i got it because it may turn out that the the source was misquoted misunderstood or just misinformed. They just didn't understand. They didn't know what they were talking about. And it was totally taken out of context. There's a lot of ways things can be solved, right? But you have to confront them. 
man, but you should hear what I heard because this guy was in a room and he heard him say, well, who, who said that? Well, I'm not going to say. Uh, well, then get away from me. I don't want to hear your gossip. The solution to contention is face-to-face. It's the only possible way. You get all involved parties in a room. And you say, he said this about you. Did you say that about him? And they have to either own it or they'll lie because then I'll say, well, no, I heard you tell me that you said you said that about him. And the other guy's like, you said that about me? And I'll say, yeah, but you said this about... And you make everybody own what they said. That's the only way it can possibly work. But, you know, if... If your culture, you know, is passive-aggressive, you know, and you just want to live in Peyton Place and don't really care about resolution, you just enjoy finding seven of your best friends to make fun of somebody, well, then you love me more than we. That's what you do. But God says, man, just, just get them in a room. Just tell them. Paul's like, look, I'm hearing this stuff. They said this. I'm telling you so that you know what they're saying so that we can all get together and fix it. Well, that's uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah, but a brother offended is like a strong city. And the contentions are like the bars of the castle. Yeah, it might be a little uncomfortable. But I love you enough to do it. We should love each other enough to, you don't have to be mean about it. You can be kind. You can be gentle. You just have to care enough to get the people in the room. Oh, but those guys that start it, they don't want to sit in that room. They don't want to sit in that room. Okay, well, once you get them down, so Paul basically says, you want the info, go talk to Chloe. Go talk to that family. Okay, number two, we're almost done. Clarify the issue. Confront the people, clarify the issue. So don't allow misunderstandings to continue. So then he goes on in verse 17 and he says, Christ sent me not to baptize. Okay, what exactly does he mean? Well, he clarifies it, right? Well, I'll tell you what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean that we're not to baptize. (laughs) Otherwise, he's a big hypocrite because he baptized. And he said it in that passage. Oh, and by the way, it's all inspired by the Holy Spirit. He means, and what he's saying is, is that Christ sent me not to primarily baptize. Literally, that's what he means. And you say, well, you're adding to Scripture. No, I'm clarifying for you what he's intending to mean, and I'm doing that by comparing Scripture with Scripture. Christ sent me primarily not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. My commission is about preaching the gospel. My commission is not about baptism. Baptism is included. There's things that need to be done besides just the preaching of the gospel. That's what the hyper-dispensationalists say. Just preach the gospel. Just preach grace. In fact, they don't even preach repentance because they find that in the book of Acts, and they're like, oh, well, that wasn't for us. This is the focus of our commission. It's preaching the gospel. That is what we are primarily to do. But that's not to the exclusion, right, of baptism. I mean, and to prove it, all I got to do is tell you, preaching the gospel, by the way, isn't all we're supposed to do. We stand up here and we teach various doctrines of the Scripture. We dive into all kind of doctrinal matters that are far beyond just the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel. We go far beyond that. But the theme of it all 
has to be the gospel. It has to be the gospel, right? It's primary to all of our messages. And you say, well, I'm not a preacher. Okay, well, let me encourage you then. Because he says it's more important to preach the gospel faithfully than eloquently. Because our skillful oration, the wisdom of words, can potentially make the message ineffective. Oh, really? So I should be bad at it. (laughs) No. The idea is this. What are the people ultimately putting their faith in? The cross of Christ? Or your smooth presentation? So don't worry about your smooth presentation. Just be faithful. Because if you can talk somebody into salvation, the devil will talk them out of it tomorrow. The devil will talk them out of it tomorrow. So don't worry about it. Be faithful and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. So what have we learned? Well, God desires perfect unity. The devil desires strife. So Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 25, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Verse 24, please underline, highlight, memorize, and the servant of the Lord must not strive. The servant of the Lord must not strive. I usually don't like when preachers do this. Say it with me. The servant of the Lord must not strive. You get that? But rather be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, clarify the truth accurately, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So if you speak the truth gently, patiently, with meekness, leave the results to God. Don't feel like you need to keep fighting the point. Humbly, meekly lay out the truth accurately. If peradventure, God will use it. They still have a free will. Romans 12, 18, do all you can to be at peace with people, right? If it be possible, sometimes it's not possible. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. I'm doing all I can. They're killing me, man. Okay, well then you're obedient. As much as lieth in you, if you're doing all you can, man, that's, that's all you can do. So if others just won't, If others just refuse, if others just want to fight, if others just keep bringing it up, if others won't resolve, if they won't sit down, if others won't address the issue, do whatever you got to do to get that dude out of your midst because it's a poison. It's a cancer. What is cancer? Rapidly dividing cells. Rapidly dividing cells. Those are divisions. Romans 16, 17 and 18. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. 
Well, I thought we were supposed to be united. If they're willing to be united, if they're not, well, mark them and avoid them. For they that are such that refuse to be united serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. They serve themselves. And by good words and fair speeches, oh, they've got words and speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple. And people are victims if they're not discerning with the Word of God. Proverbs 22 goes even further in verse number 10. Cast out the scorner, and contention will go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. When division is brought into a body, you do all you can to solve it. If it won't be solved, if parties are just determined to bring division, you have to put them out. You have to put them out. Because unity is that important. So God encourages us with Proverbs 17.1. Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. We may have less wealth and abundance. We may have less, you know, whatever, food in the cabinets. But there's peace and quiet. There's peace and quiet. And you could have a house full of meat from the sacrifices. But if everybody's fighting all the time, man. Let me ask you a question. You currently have contention with somebody? You got something going on? Have you propagated it by defending yourself over and over and over? Let me encourage you. If the Lord's put his finger on your heart today, forget about the other guy for now. Yeah, but you don't, no, no, wait a minute, just, just for now. You, sir, ma'am, you, if you have been a party to this contention, repent. Turn from it. First, you, give it to the Lord before God. Then, take the steps to try and resolve it. And if you can get some traction, Praise the Lord. And if the other person refuses, then always be ready to resolve, but don't allow yourself to be sucked in. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably among all men. Sometimes it's not up to you. Sometimes it's up to the other guy. But you take care of you. And that's what I want us to do now before the Lord. Let's pray together.